Hi, my name's Nia Singleton and I'm a woman working in a man's world. The steel industry is overwhelmingly male. Only 11% of Tata Steel's UK workforce are women. So I've been on a bit of a mission to seek out and speak to some of those 11%. The women who laid the foundation stones for others like me to walk upon. Role models, inspirational figures, high flyers, and those who are at the start of their careers. Across this series, they will be sharing their experiences and how they've been able to make their mark in what has traditionally been a male space. So join me for a conversation with the Women of Steel. Today's guest is Barbara Evans. Barbara joined Tata Steel as an apprentice in 1995 and has worked in a number of roles across the company's energy function, from day fuel technician, energy controller to unit trainer. Barbara is currently the energy competence assessor, which involves supporting the managers and personnel in the energy department to develop training frameworks and delivery of MVQ programmes for the area working as a coach and mentor, and she's also working towards becoming a chartered manager. Now, if that wasn't enough, Barbara has just finished a business management degree and recently handed in her Level 7 Strategic Leadership and Management Qualification, looking at dynamic leadership, emotional intelligence, and the psychology of effective leaders. That is some heavy study there. But if I can take you back to the beginning of your career in 95, what inspired you to seek an apprenticeship in the steel industry? Well, in all honesty, Nia, when I was 19, I just finished my A-levels. And for me, it was a choice of university or the workplace. Yeah. Um, and I was really fortunate to be offered a position as an apprentice here. At the time, it was British Steel. Uh, and I was allowed to develop myself as both an engineer um, and as a manager through that process. It interests me because being able to work and receive an education at the same time, it was something that really, I thought, really gave me a good grounding in going forward and developing an, into a, a whole career pathway, something that's really holistic. So I was allowed to uh, be able to apply my college education onto site um, and I was able to bring education from the things that I'd learned on site into my college work. So how many women were in your cohort then of apprentices? Because it would feel to me, because we still don't have, you know, a 50-50 balance for apprenticeships here. Um, and, you know, in 2021, I imagine there were even fewer women at that time. Oh, goodness, yes. I think, I believe the whole cohort for my year numbered around 58. Yeah. Um, if I took away the um, administration and financial apprentices, of which I believe there was around seven or eight girls. Yeah. There was uh, four of us <laughs> aimed for sight, um, yeah. one electrician and three of us who were what were deemed at the time modern apprentices for technical, which we call these days higher apprentices. Yeah. So there was three of us and that was us for, you know, for 1995's cohort. Yeah. That, was, that was it. Everything else was production, mechanical and electrical. And they were all sort of 16 to 19 year old boys. So you're thrown in now at the deep end. So you're 19, you're thrown in the deep end in the steel industry. What was it like? Pretty much organized chaos. I think it's probably <laughs> the best way to describe it. It was a lovely environment in that we built, I feel we've built real lifelong friendships. Um, there's quite a lot of us still in the business, which is quite surprising if you think that was yeah. 26 years ago now. Yeah. But we are, 
let's just say the banter was strong and it certainly <laughs> prepared me for life on site. Um, I've had several occasions. I'd walk out to the workshop in Bridgend College and my car wasn't there. <laughs> I at the time was driving a little red mini and several of the boys from the mechanical department would pick it up carry it across the car park <laughs> and leave it somewhere else so you know it, it, silly little yeah. things like that I mean I dare say you wouldn't get away with that these days no. but uh, <laughs> it, it made for a little bit of light entertainment yeah. um, but no we we were a pretty close bunch for those couple of years um, and it's it's been my pleasure you know to maintain a lot of those friendships going forward. So then you qualify and you you posted, I suppose, makes yeah. you sound like the army, but you posted <laughs> in, in energy department and you've stayed there ever since. Now you've worked in a number of, of roles, so you must really have enjoyed the energy department then. Well, initially, when, still. I, <laughs> when I came out, um, you know, initially into your site position, so um, to, at the time the technical apprenticeship was two years, which is mm. pretty much the same as the hires are now. Mm. And at the end of the first year, first year was full-time college, um, at the end of the first year, you were put into a position on site. So I didn't actually go straight to energy. I was put into the boss plant labs. All right. And um, after a couple of weeks, I really felt like I can't, I can't do this. I'm trapped in a little room. I, I, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, and it was only recently that Energy had joined that technical rotation to receive apprentices. Yeah. Um, for technical nature rather than just, you know, the standard electrical and mechanical. So uh, a colleague of in my year was posted there. And he was saying uh, how he was managing to go on site and he was getting to see all these other places and all the mm. things he was getting to do. And I was like, well, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be stuck here. <laughs> so um, by the, that was sort of the July. By the November, I'd managed to secure actually a full-time position in energy. There was a, a vacancy that had arisen for a technician. I applied and was really fortunate to get that post in first off. So rather than stay in my train, I was obviously still under the traineeship sort of umbrella for that second year, but I actually had a, a, a full-time position awarded to me, you know, by the start of the second year. And the three years as a technician, I got to see every works area. I got to get involved in all of the processes. Um, I basically got to know the site from top to bottom. Yeah. So as our sort of services cover the entire works areas, we take all of the gases around the site. Um, we store and distribute blast furnace, coke oven and boss gas. Um, we also distribute all of the process gases like oxygen and nitrogen, mm -hmm. everything that's key really to all the production areas. Uh, and we also support them with electricity, water and steam as well. So we got to be involved in every single process at some level across the site. So it was really a broad education of what the steel industry is, yeah. what the requirements are and what, what, what needs to be done and the, tight, the tightness of the parameters that we have to work in, not just for safety, but for quality as well. So we, I had a really good education in those first three yeah. years and I was really, really lucky. I count myself, you know, fortunate to have had the chance to see everything, to know that actually energy was the department for me. Yeah. I didn't want to be stuck in a production area doing the same thing all the time. I could see different things constantly. So going from there, the natural progression then was to a shift um, engineering position, a control engineer with energy control. And I was there for 15 years. Mm -hmm. So working a shift pattern, working 12 hours, getting married and bringing up small kids. Yeah. Surprisingly, shifts is probably the best pattern to actually work for that. Do you know what? I think it is. And then I often wonder then why we don't have more women, you know, in manufacturing for that reason, mm -hmm. because shift work 
although it you know does mess up your circadian rhythm and yeah. you know nights are not fun are they but says the person who's never done one but <laughs> <laughs> i imagine my husband tells me they're not fun um but it is helpful for family life isn't it oh absolutely and the way the 12 hour shift pattern works the amount of time i was able to spend with my children when they were small it was was unparalleled for somebody that can work full time yeah. um there is the obvious problems of you know not being able to pick your holidays and yeah. you know school holidays tend to be fixed so you know with the summer you used to catch at least a week or so yeah. of it but half terms are hit and miss and christmas is always well fought over you know because everyone yeah. wants to be off of there <laughs> so if you're in a group of people you've all got kids it's a case of toss a coin you get stuck in so yeah i work quite a lot of christmases unfortunately which my elder child does remind me of occasionally <laughs> but um i was lucky with my small one that that um i i think i only caught one before i moved into a day position but it, it that again working shifts not only gives you the flexibility what it, again it did for me was be able to see the interaction between the different areas of sight yeah. and and working with them repeatedly so we didn't just have our own team in energy we were actually a part of a team that included blast furnaces included the coalcums included the steel plants included the mills so we had sort of a real cross functional team as well so i think it was good for networking i think it was good for developing relationships and again for you know keeping up a best practice maintaining your interest and your knowledge level of what's going on right across our industry so you know you work in shifts and you say you're networking and you get to be across lots of different works areas were you then is it safe for me to assume were you often the only woman in a room probably for the best part of 20 years yeah <laughs> how did you find that or how do um, you find it i actually probably find it more unusual being in a room with women even now <laughs> Because my whole working life, I've either shared an office or shared a control room or um, shared a van with, always been men. We've had very few women who have come through energy department and stayed with us. It is, is that because of you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Might well be, I frighten them off. <laughs> but no, it's, um, we are actually, I, th I think because of the range of expertise and the, and the range of disciplines we've got and lots of very unusual talents that, that live in the energy department. Um, I think really it's it's not broad enough to attract most women. Um, you know, it's, it's not just like purely a mechanical yeah. role or purely an electrical role. We're so specialised. So yeah. you've got to have already done something and then focused and specialised a little bit more. And I'm not saying that women in general don't focus. We don't just don't get enough women in into yeah. the into the, you know the general roles before they can even start to specialise. And that's I think filters our numbers down even more. Mm. So from going from that 11% across the business, if you're looking at women in specialised engineering roles, you're probably looking probably less than five percent at a guest. I'd well, imagine. it is in the pod harbour side that we're sitting in recording now. Um, Four percent of mm. our employees are working in sort of manufacturing roles. So that you know, it is ninety-six percent male. Do you think then that it has changed you in a way, your personality, or you know, have you developed differently? Would you think, or um, maybe is this is you know, this is was always the natural path for you? What what would your family say? Your mother, for example. Oh, my mother's worked through industry her whole life as well. So I don't know, maybe that's where it came from. Yeah. My, my mother has always worked, okay, in business administration roles or as in uh, financial controller roles, but she's worked for many of our contract partners now. Yeah. So um, it's not something I'd grown up thinking was unusual. Yeah. Um, and, and in all honesty, it was my mum who first spotted the advert for the apprenticeship before mm -hmm. me and said, well, you know, 
this is the sort of thing you like. Have a look at this. See if, you want, see if you want to have a go at this. Because I, she, I think, could see that I was, I had a place in university. I had my A-levels. I had the, uh, the grades I needed. I had a place in Cardiff waiting for me. But it was a case of if you really don't want to go, if it's really bothering you, yeah, look at this. Try this. Is this something that would interest you as an alternative? So I, I didn't find it an unusual situation for myself. It wasn't something, that, you know, a lot of girls probably grow up thinking, well, engineering is not for them or manufacturing is yeah. not for them. And unfortunately, that's, a lot of that is due to the environments they brought up in schools. Yeah. You, know, the, you know, the things they're being taught. And as parents, you know, we don't generally have a lot of control over what gets done inside the classroom, do no. we? We can only control what's at home. So I never saw that as being an unusual way for my career to go. But I do, I, I know I, I, there's a lot of men in my family. I've quite probably a, maybe classes a, a quite a bawdy sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I'm not easily offended by anything. And I think that the fact that I'm quite willing to stand up and, and enter into the same sort of contest as they were. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say it's, I've earned their respect, but I'm in a strange way. I have that alternative compliment is all you know she's just one of the boys yeah so it could be looked at it this generation will probably think that that's a horrific thing to say you're not one of the boys you should all be yeah. equals yeah but the fact of the matter is we are it's just the terminology changes yeah. i mean we've got to look like we've been in our 40s and 50s the people i work with there's a, yes don't get me wrong there's a lot of youngsters there but i am treated as as part of the team i'm not the woman in the office you know i'm not the woman that's going to do this i you know i, I it, it my gender doesn't yeah. make a big difference in my teams. And that's wonderful to you because that's all we want really, isn't yeah. it? To not feel othered, yes. um, you know, and to not feel singled out. So there was never times then where you've had to play mother, you know, you, you were the one doing the tea runs. Everybody's doing it the same, are they? Oh, yeah. Well, to, to be <laughs> honest, though, it's, it's, it's a case of taking in turns. Yeah. You know, there are things I will pointedly turn around and say, I am not doing, don't expect me to do that just because, you know. Yeah. You, you think that's the thing I should do as a pink job yeah exactly a pink job this is like oh oh run the hoover in the office sort of thing and I'm like <laughs> you've got arms you run a hoover in the office yeah. you know it's very much there's a little bit of teasing obviously yeah. but it's all good natured and it's not there's there's no microaggression yeah. part of it you know is 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 all we'll all get on we'll all do what we need to do and I'm fortunate I think in that I mean I do think occasionally and I don't know if it's I'm imagining it but some of the younger lads who just come out through their apprenticeship or have taken on junior positions in the area I think they see me in a, in a very sort of maternal or auntie kind of thing it's like oh can you help me please please I'm a little bit stuck with this I'm not quite sure what to do with that yeah and that's fine because I am in a training coaching and mentoring role yeah and for me if they see that as as you know if they have that mental vision that's comforting yeah. and allows them to learn and allows them to be vulnerable and to be open to be because you know that's it to be vulnerable in, in a business like I was and say look I do need help yeah it's gonna be tough no matter what age you are so um yeah if, if I instill that sense of security by being that sort of maternal figure I don't have a problem with it I don't have a problem with it but I won't be put upon and they know that you know so <laughs> I'm quite happy to teach and coach and and, yeah. and and do that kind of stuff. But um, as you said, I won't be sort of, um, I won't have the position of booze then, let's yeah. put it that way. Now you mentioned as well, because you've now moved in sort of a, a training and coaching and mentoring role and working days now from shifts. Have you had any, is it, does anybody stand out for you across your career that's been a mentor or somebody that has helped guide the path that you have led? Um, I, it wasn't really something that we spoke about when we started in the business. It's something we looked to our trainees, our graduates, now say, if 
find yourself a good mentor find yeah. somebody that knows what they do and who are similar characteristics that you want to emulate yeah go find them work with them that was never said to us you know we were just sort of and I don't want to say, oh, poor me or all the rest of it, you know, but it, it was it was the whole of, of the people that came in through my year. You're thrown in a deep end mm. and it's sink or swim. Yeah. You know, you pull your socks up, you learn your trade and you get on with it and you take whatever knocks are given to you and you learn from them. There wasn't that sort of arm around the shoulder, you know, and right, this is what you need to do. There wasn't somebody to take you aside and sort of give you the advice you needed. It was very, very raw compared yeah. to how we support our people now and i think that's a, that's an organizational learning mm. as well um we are more open to supporting our you know employees as they come through the process our young managers yeah. our young engineers but at our time we didn't have that so there was no formality around it there were a few people i looked up to yeah but i have to say my my management team now the, the people i work with now we all sort of i think we mentor each other yeah um and even though we have some sort of business guidance around what we do and we have more education, we have more knowledge, we have more training. So we know how we should be managing things. You know, we have all the diversity and inclusion stuff, you know, the, all the leadership stuff, but we have all that formal stuff given to us. So we know what we should be doing, but we can actually sit in a room together and I'll say, well, what do you make of this? How would you manage it? So we have each other to bounce off. So I think they'd be highly embarrassed if I named them, but I think they know exactly <laughs> who they are. Um, we sort of each other's conscience, we're each other's sort of earth rod. And we are the people, you know, we can phone each other, you know, on a Sunday afternoon and just think, look, this is coming up in the morning. It's bothered me all weekend. Am I thinking about this yeah. in the right way? And we, I'm fortunate there's, there's a couple of us that have that sort of level of relationship that we can do that. Yeah. That um, reminds me from podcast and series one, actually, Laura Baker sort of saying her bit of advice to anybody um, starting in the steel industry, but this is relevant to any workplaces, to find your tribe. Oh, God, To yes. find the people that, you know, you can lean on for support and vice versa. And it really sounds as if you have found your tribe in this industry and people that you can look to for support inside and outside of work, mm. which is important. Yeah, I think so. I mean... My, they always say it takes a village to raise a child, don't they? Yeah. And I think it's the same principle. You're all still kids in a way when we're in here. We, you know, there are always going to be things that are new to you. There are yeah. always going to be things you're going to have to learn. You know, you always, there are some things you have to approach as think, right, you know, mentally I'm five years old to this subject because I know nothing about it. I need to learn. I need to find, you know, people who can support me. So, yeah, that tribal thing, I think, is just like, it's like a, a copy of that sort yeah. of model in the workplace. And... I have to separate my work life from my home life, simply probably because my husband works here as well. <laughs> <laughs> so our home friends, our home group are completely separate from the yeah. business because otherwise we'd find ourselves living in a, a very, very small bubble. So, yeah, yeah so my, my home tribe are entirely different to my work tribe, but there is a, a level of respect between both of them. Any one of those can form me at any point because we're going to be there. And it's right, you need that level of support and you need people to be on that same, same sort of wavelength as you as well. Yeah. We've always said, you know, a certain energy, we're, we're an odd bunch because we deal with such unusual circumstances. Yeah. We have strange specialties. You know, we're not making a product. We're not like any of the particular manufacturing areas where, you know, something that they start with and then something that they end up with and they, they have a bunch of things that happen in between to make sure that, you know, the quality remains the same, the standards remain the same. We're dealing with such dynamic, changeable events, you know, not just on a day-to-day -day basis, but on an hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis. So we are reacting to all of the manufacturing areas. So we 
maybe think differently. Mm. So manufacturing is all focused on product and its quality, whereas as we like, right, we're a service. What are we doing to help you? What can we do? Yeah. What, where's our feedback coming from? What are our warning signs? What, what are we looking 10 steps ahead and what we've learned from when this happened before? Has this ever happened before? You know, we've got one in a 10 year occurrence or a one in a 50 year occurrence here. So there are a lot of complicated interplay factors because you know, out of all the manufacturing areas, they all feed into us and what can affect the blast furnace, can affect the steel plant, can affect the coke ovens. And before you know it, you're affecting the mills. The interplay makes us, I think, at a more of a lateral level, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sometimes we could think of a works problem. And if you mate in the mill, you talk to them, they're like, nah, I'm going to clear what you're on about. <laughs> but you can talk to somebody else yeah. in energy like, mm, yeah, I remember something similar happening. So, yeah, it, it, it's very key, I think, to us and what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and how our, our teams actually work. So, yeah, that tribal thing, is it really strikes a chord to me. So you've got your tribe in work now then, and it seems actually that you've thoroughly enjoyed your last 26 years. I'm sure <laughs> there will have been um, bumps in the road. What would you say your biggest challenge in the workplace has been for you? Well, even though I said working shifts um, was probably the easiest option when you've got yeah. a family, it's still hugely challenging because you're dealing with small children, you're dealing with school holidays, you deal with sickness. And when you're part of a shift um, setup where you are a specialist in your area, yeah. there's very little room for the, you know, hang on, i got to take yeah. the day off. My kids got chicken pox. It, it, it's so complex in organizing your life. Um, I go after my night shifts, I, I probably sleep maybe three or four hours. Mm. And you get, I think when you've got small children, you get in that zone of living in sleep deprivation yeah. for months on end. So you cope, you manage, but you're not actually living, you're just surviving. Yeah. Uh, but as your children get a little bit older and a little bit bigger and a little bit more independent, you find a lot more free time. Mm -hmm. But I think that the period when my children were small and being, as tends to happen with women, if your kid's sick, who takes the day, has to take the day off? That's because I was just about to ask you that because then the weight of society's expectations upon us as a woman, even as a full-time working woman, is that we would be the ones to shoulder that. You know, yeah, well, we, we do the mass the of the unpaid care. Yeah. The unpaid care falls on wife and mum, mm. whether it's care for children, care for elderly relatives. Or, you know, it, it's the unpaid work that we do on top of our paid yeah. work which bumps our hours up from 38 hours a week to 65 <laughs> hours a week before, yeah. you know, before you get that call saying, look, we've got a problem on another shift. You're the only person that can cover it. Yeah. I, because those calls will still happen as well. Yeah. So, yeah, th th that was real challenge. I mean, when my eldest child was small, I was doing HNC. So I was studying as well. So I was doing probably about 60 to 80 hours a week of Sucker work. Sucker for punishment. Yes. <laughs> and then when my second daughter was small, I... I I changed tack. I was in a, a different role um, with different sort of responsibilities and different focus. So then I went back and did a different degree. Yeah. So that was another five years of chaos. But it's it's teaches you a lot about time management. It yeah. teaches you um, a lot about your sort of responsibility levels. And I think it gives a good example to the children that nothing comes easy. If you want something, yeah. you're working hard. Um, so that that. It's hugely challenging to stay a positive role model for your family, to get your work done and to actually come out the other end, not, you know, falling <laughs> apart and yeah. with all your washing and your ironing done yeah. and all the rest of it. You know, it's 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 everything else that all piles in. It's a lot. Yeah, it really is a lot. But I think if I wasn't as young and fit as I was, I couldn't have done it. Yeah. Now 
I couldn't even think about doing something like that again. Did you sometimes maybe get envious um, looking at your colleagues who, you know, you're all working as hard as each other in the workplace, but then they maybe wouldn't have had all this additional burden placed on their shoulders and sort of, well, it's all right for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, do you know what? And it was, I've had it to was... do everything today before I've even, yeah, I've done a 12 hour shift before I've come in for this night shift. And it was a source, and, and not so much of envy, but it was it was um, a bottomless source of banter, shall we say. <laughs> um, the things that I was able to, you know, sort of deflect back to them, and it was they were understanding. To be fair, like I said, I was I was fortunate the team I worked with they could see what I was doing. Yeah, and they were comments, you know, the occasional nice comments saying, you know, I don't know who you manage it. I said, well, you know, go to you ask your wife. <laughs> Yeah, it's a right for you. have got somebody washing your shirts. <laughs> you know, I, it was said in jest, but I could, there was genuine sort of feeling behind, you know, yeah. my close friends in work that they could see what was going on. Alternatively, I would moan about my husband occasionally and the feedback was like, oh, I can't say anything, boycott, you know. <laughs> I'm on oh, his aye, side, aye, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, hmm, there's nobody on my side. Yeah. And so I'll have to phone your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, and it was... It was interesting. I never felt that it was a point where they could sort of um, take the mickey or anything yeah. like that. The, the, there was genuine concern there. And there would be, you know, there wouldn't be, as you said earlier, it would be, oh, it's your turn to make tea and all that. Mm-hmm. If they, they could see if I had a tough day come in or I've said this has happened, that's happened, you know, I've run over the kids, I've had to do yeah. this. Because my husband works shutdowns in here and sometimes he'd work 12, 16 hours mm-hmm. and, and I would go maybe for a week and not actually physically see him. Yeah. And, we taken in turns dropping the children back and forth, you know, parents and in-laws yeah, in between. Yeah, night is yeah. hard, isn't it? You know, he'd be gone to work before I get home. And then mm. my kids would come back in the afternoon from my in-laws and then I'd have to drop them off and he'd pick them up later. And it would get really complicated, but it would easily be a week and I wouldn't see him. And I'd come in and by the time I sat down, you know, one of the boys would put a cup of coffee mm. in front of me. You know, th- there was that understanding. Um, but I think that grew through, you know, the camaraderie. You get through working through shifts. Yeah. Working in a shift environment, again, it's a, it's a different type of tribe because mm. you can get these people in a shift that you work with. You don't actually like each other sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's not guaranteed you get on with everyone, is it? Yeah. But you're part of a team and that's you and yeah. that's your little tribe. And it's you you lot against the world, whether you like each other or not. And you, you've got each other's back. So it's a, it's a very unusual situation, especially somewhere like head, heavy industry. The tribal thing is really, yeah. really strong. The, the team ethic is really, really strong. And, you know, after the loss of the coal industry, I think we're probably the last area that's got that sort yeah. of mentality is, you know, it's us against the world. It's very, very, very strong teams. So now you you say now that that was the most challenging part of your career and you're out to the sort of the the deep trenches of you know heavy duty parenting mm-hmm. um your children a little bit older you sort of think oh this is nice you know i'm on a i'm working days and no more night shifts and then boom you get then hit by the menopause or all of these symptoms and you didn't know what it was mm-hmm. because over the last couple of years you've been quite a vocal member of the the workplace menopause support group that has I, d- I don't know how that started. I'm not sure if if, yeah, if you can enlighten us, but that has seemed to have been a big challenge for you now, hasn't it, over the last sort of 18 months? Yes, particularly the last 18 months. Um, the group was set up, I believe, originally about three years ago by Karen Bowman, one of our colleagues. Um, I believe she's based in Clamwern. And it was um, around an idea that was sort of quite highly publicised, well, 
full menopause, I should yeah. say, uh, in the media at the time by an actress called Rachel Weiss. Hmm. So, um, you know, she had got involved in something called Menopause Cafe, hmm. which at the time, obviously, when we could all meet face to face, was part of a system where women of, as a, unfortunately they term, a certain age, yeah. uh, are able to get together in social groups and, and actually sort of just help support each other and talk about what's going on, exchange ideas and sort of just basically be there for yeah. each other because they were feeling let down by a system that wasn't supporting them. Mm. So it sort of grew from that. Um, and obviously with, with COVID's sort of... Uh, <laughs> wiping out all these sort of face-to-face interactions you know 18 19 months ago um karen took the forum online uh, and it restarted again around about six eight months ago i believe Uh, and what the point of it is is we are at a generation in this workplace uh that okay we're not overrun with women here as we well know We're, we're a tiny number but we are hitting this age barrier now when we're thinking hang on there's a lot of stuff happening to us now And who are we going to talk to? Mm. Because out of that 11% of women in the business, we're very well dispersed. Yes. You know, there's very little opportunity for for somebody in my position where I am to bump into somebody in the corridor and to be able to have a chat about it. Yeah. You know, so the numbers, um, like I said, are well dispersed. Yet we are professional women. We have worked to majority of us for a considerable amount of time. Mm. We understand our jobs. We're good at our jobs. And all of a sudden, we are finding really weird things happening to us. And we've got no touch point to turn around and say, is it me? You know, yeah. who who can I talk to about this? And the lack of, unfortunately, the lack of medical support out there, the lack of GP support has meant that women are actually, you know, the ones who are brave enough to go and complain and say, look, I don't think I'm well. Something is wrong. Yeah. And not getting the sort of, correct support from their GPs because they haven't been trained properly either so this is something that's I believe I mean we've been really good about getting our family friendly policies in place you know making sure maternity paternity adoption all of these things are really well covered the start of you know that part of of adult life you know the 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 bringing the family into the world and, and being there at the start this is the next step this yeah. is the next change. And it's like radio silence. What's mm. there to support us? What's in place? Where's the information? Where's the education? And where is the what happens to us now? So we're having to do this ourselves. Mm. And it's something and I think it's, it's gaining a little bit more traction in the media. Yeah. You know, there are some big, big companies in London now publicizing what they are doing. The big banking firms that are employing um, specialists in the field to be able to say, right, lead us now yeah we know we've got some female employees and it doesn't matter if you've got ten thousand females you've got one female employee now 51 percent of this country is female at birth mm. they this is going to happen yeah at some point in an adult life generally between the ages of 45 and 55 but it's not you know it's still pretty common from the age of 40 onwards that what physically happens to you and the symptoms and the way they insidiously creep up on you you know we need to be able to support women to be able to, to be able to spot that they need that help yeah. and be able to say right but actually we've got something in place here for you we've got a framework here the same as we had a framework for when you got pregnant mm. and when you went off on your maternity leave and when you came back into work we now have this framework for you when you've hit perimenopause you are getting these symptoms this is what we can do to support you it's a transition period it's temporary and we're able to get you through that yeah. and out the other end 
because there's a lot of so a lot of research that says that once you've finished and you've come through menopause and you're in a postmenopausal state, that actually your brain function is more improved than it was pre-menopause. It's like that old adage, you know, the wise woman. The wise woman of the village. Yeah. Generally, you, this you is what you're like stepping into your strength, aren't you? In stepping into your power. And this is it. You you get to that point. The physical symptoms become less. The mental symptoms ease away. And your brain is able to become more focused. So, you know, as as responsible business, we've got to find a way of being able to help this transitional period. Yeah. For the women... Go- I think we're probably the first generation this has really hit hard in the workplace. Yeah. You know? Between the ages of 50 and 65, over 60% of women are in paid employment. And know? full-time employment. And, and maybe um, we're this generation of women who are enjoying careers and full-time careers. Maybe, you know, my mother's generation were working part-time. Mm-hmm. It might have been easier for them to navigate the symptoms if they thought, well, I'm not in work all day yeah. or I'm not in work every single day but it is difficult then isn't it to navigate these symptoms and like you say they were just coming up creeping up on you and you didn't know what was going on um and then trying to manage work and to be a good employee you know and feel as if you're giving and adding value it must have been so difficult well to be honest it's a complete crisis of confidence because even the basic things like your ability to concentrate yeah you become so forgetful i mean for me, um, you know, I'm going to the full personal details, yeah. but for the last four years, I've had a creeping sensation of little things appearing, odd little things starting to happen to me. And not for the life of me did I think any of them were linked. Yeah. I mean, it started sort of not long after I was 40 and I've always had, uh, you know, joint pain mm. and it got really severe. And I was getting nerve pain and I was getting palpitations, but they didn't all come at once. I'd get something for a few months and it wouldn't tail off entirely, Yeah. but something else would pop up and take over my attention. <laughs> yeah. And I went through so many different tests. I've been tested for IMS and lots of other nerve condition problems. Um, I've been sent to a cardiologist for my heart because when you've, you know, between 40 and sort of 44, 45, it's not generally thought by your GP that you've got a hormonal issue. Yeah. They think genuinely you've got a systemic problem. Mm. And I understand they want to try and, if there's something serious, they want to get to the bottom of it yeah. quite quickly. Yeah. But they don't join up the dots. And so if you think there are over 30 officially recognized menopause symptoms that range from um, you know the, the psychological symptoms such as anxiety and nervousness, which could be mistaken for a thousand other things, yeah. low mood, which is mistaken for, for depression, and the fact for the last 18 months, people have practically been locked in their homes. Yeah. There is a lot of, oh, you're suffering from the social situation you're in. You, mm. You've been isolated. It's playing games with your mind. That is, has really overtaken a lot of the GP's focus lots of on women. There's then, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. And things like, um, for example, I had carpal tunnel surgery because of horrendous pins and needles in my hands. Um, it's fixed that hand. But now I've got pins and needles in the other hand and both feet. Yeah. You know, it, but it's all related to the fact that your body is not making enough estrogen anymore. So the palpitations, not enough estrogen anymore. Gritty eyes, not enough estrogen anymore. You've forgotten your mother-in-law's birthday. <laughs> Not enough estrogen anymore. <laughs> it's your it's your catch-all. <laughs> Look, I don't have enough estrogen for this. <laughs> that's it. That's entirely it. But uh, and why would we joke about it? 
these symptoms, if you saw a list of them, there is no way on this earth you think they were all related. Yeah. And yet your estrogen is so important for your kidney function, for your liver function. Um, it's really not just about whether or not, you know, you're having periods and you're having babies. It's not just about that. That's a tiny little bit of what estrogen does, does in your body. So in order for you to join all the dots together yourself, you've really got to do some digging and some research of your own yeah. because unfortunately if the gp the person says trained and supposed to be able to spot these things from a distance yeah is telling you oh no it can't be that you're too young then you, f you feel like your body's gaslighting you and you think yeah. i've got to go and find something myself that makes sense yeah. of all of these strange <laughs> things that are happening you know did it make you feel isolated in the workplace though? Because I think maybe, because um, you speak to, you know, how you've been able to get support then, haven't you, mm. from this now a virtual group. Because that probably then is, is a, another issue that we might come across as women in a male-dominated space is that we don't have, or we're not often in company of women mm. to be able to bounce these ideas off. I remember that, being pregnant and sort of, yeah. you know, <laughs> wanted to complain and... You know, they would listen to me in the office, but it wasn't the same as having somebody maybe who's gone through it or was going through it. Yeah, I, abs yeah, I absolutely agree because it's exactly the same position. You know, it's yeah. the same mental process that you're going through. It's like, I, I own this vehicle, this body, yeah. and it's doing things that I haven't told it to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not I did quite not sure. give it permission for this. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to stop it or whether I should stop it yeah. or, you know. If I can calm it down or speed it up or whatever yeah. the thing is that's going a little bit haywire. And yes, I think the last 18 months in particular is when my symptoms, unfortunately, it sort of coincided with pandemic. Well, maybe it was fortunate, actually, because yeah. I was able to work from home. Yeah. Um, but it did make me feel a little bit, am I going mad? Yeah. You know, have I, have I just lost the plot because I'm stuck at home and I'm not seeing people other than my family? Mm. Or am I genuinely physically not well yeah because it sends this chaos through your brain and if you haven't got the touch point of being able to i think speaking to any human yeah makes a difference um i mean my husband's like well if you're not well you go back to gp and i'm like yeah but how many times do i need to go back because i've already done x y and z half a dozen times in the last six months you know i've already told them that i went for like two months and i didn't sleep for more than two hours at a night mm. and then i went flipped the other way if i could sleep all night and then could not get out of bed because i'm still exhausted yeah. and their response to that is oh that's depression i said yeah i didn't feel depressed i just couldn't flame and sleep yeah. And that's enough to make anyone miserable, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's, I didn't physically feel down. I was just exhausted. So not having that touch point, yes, was a massive thing. But my GP was a woman and I mm. had somebody to talk to about that. And she still didn't get it. Yeah. So I think it's having the right people. Okay. So this group, I think, specifically has a really strong impact or will have a strong impact on people in my position. I hope it, it goes on and I yeah. hope the people like there are a few ladies in there who have come out the other end and they're just here, you know, waving their flags yeah. and, and championing it and being a massive, massive support to us. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of Josh and a little bit of teasing, but we're all sharing resources from have a look at this article, have a read of this, you know, look at this web page, there's some cracking information on there. We've been able to share things. And I know it sounds like it's such a women thing, diet tips, but the nutrition in midlife has to take a massive, massive change from what you're used to. Mm. 
Um, you know, you might have been somebody who has been really active, go to the gym or runs three, four times a week, right? So you've quite happily stuffed your face with pasta, <laughs> not a problem at all. You can deal with all the carbs. Then all of a sudden you can't run because your joints are aching. Carbs make you bloated and want to snooze on the sofa and you've, you know, only got to look at a slice of bread and you put on half a stone. <laughs> it's a massive yeah. change because all your, all of your chemical pathways yeah. have altered. So it's about finding out what works for you as well. I mean, and I know there's always, you know, oh, just be physically active. That cheers you up. Just be, you still need to have people who have tried the things and to be able to talk yeah. to them. And to be honest, yes, it would be difficult. I think if I was stuck in the office with the boys in that I could be, I'd moan and I'd whinge and I'd say something. But their experiences, the experience, yeah, it just, wouldn't be the same. Yeah. And I've had a few of them that I do speak to say, oh, my wife uh, you know, did this. This has happened to my wife. And I'm really appreciative of the fact that. One in particular, I know I can speak to you about this sort of stuff. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, this is a man in his early 50s and he's talking about some really, you know, personal female mm. things. And he can be entirely open and honest with me. And I am with him. Yeah. And he says, my wife, this is happening. That's happening. And I've been able to turn around and say to him, I said, well, I found this worked. Yeah. So we, we've got like a conduit. Yeah. <laughs> so information's getting to his wife and That's what his good. wife is getting is saying is getting back to mm. me through this poor little translator <laughs> in, in between. But he says it helps him to know as well. well because she will say it in one way. But maybe I can translate a little bit with what she really wants to say. Because that's it. If you're in a heterosexual relationship and your partner is going through the menopause or is experiencing symptoms of the menopause, it can be as confusing for the men in that situation. I sort think of thankful for them. What does happen to my wife, you know? Yeah. Um, and so now who stole my wife and replaced yeah. her with this crazy person yeah. who is she what is she and yeah. why is she here I don't want to call her the poster girl for menopause and energy <laughs> but I suppose you probably are now they'll all be you know knocking your door and <laughs> asking I, you questions you know there's something I think that's worthwhile I could come out of this I mean we've always said we've got um, you know we supported mental health at the moment yeah. right and it's a really important topic and it's a really it's all encompassing. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It, it doesn't matter where you're from, you know, how much money you earn, what your background is. If you suffer with poor mental health, it is it's probably the only great level are left, I think. Yeah. Now, it doesn't matter about where you come from or what you do. But the impact that menopause has on people with not only with poor mental health themselves, but on the partners of yeah. those people as well. We have to understand the stresses that that, that extra sort of worry and concern puts mm. on them so it's not just the physical symptoms and the pain because let me tell you there's some really debilitating symptoms i mean out of the 80 percent of women that suffer symptoms of menopause over a quarter of them will actually think about finishing work and one in ten actually do we lose 10 percent of these shame, women isn't it yeah and there is i believe there's somewhere around three million women right in this age bracket at the moment that are leaving work. That's why it's so important then, like you say, to have a support system in, in the workplace, which, you know, seems to be developing, but also policies and, you know, menopause-friendly policies. I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, that, you know, will help you navigate this period of time. Like you say, could last a decade. Yes. Which and, is a significant chunk of time. Yeah, and, and after this transition, you're going to live, with, on average, a third of your whole adult yeah. life 
post-menopausal. So how this affects you going forward is massive. Yeah. So there's the education part of it. I mean, policy is huge for an employer. And as a responsible employer, it's something we have to look at, right? And there are supporting things we can put around the policy, like having champions in place. Yeah. Now, it's a contentious subject. You know, it's something that's all sort of been hidden in the shadows, yeah. really. You know, men get embarrassed to talk about it. Men would be embarrassed to even sort of maybe to talk to another woman about it. But men will talk to men about a lot more embarrassing things. Yeah. I've heard it myself. <laughs> there are some horrific things that they'll talk about quite openly and without shame. If we were able to train, even if it was half a dozen men on this site, as well as obviously having female champions on this site, to support other men, yeah. I think it would be a lot of value in that. And especially when we think about, like I said, the extra stresses that can feed into having, you know, those poor mental health issues mm. of having to carry everything at home, but not being able to say anything in work and then having a responsible job to deal with that and as well. And that's it, because um, there may be people listening who sort of think to themselves, well, in an industry that's 89% male, why on earth are we bothering you know, with a menopause policy or why should we as men care about this? And for every one of those men who has a wife, a sister, you know, a partner out there, it's going to happen. Yeah. Be prepared. Because I know we say only 80%, you know, suffer symptoms, but those symptoms can be absolutely debilitating and physical and mentally. Mm. So can you imagine being with somebody who has always been confident and full of life and all excited. And you, you go out for dinner, you go out dance, you do all these wonderful things together. And all of a sudden she just can't get out of bed. Yeah. She can't face putting makeup on and washing her hair and getting dressed to actually go anywhere with you. She doesn't want to see her friends anymore. Over a third of menopausal women cancel their social activities for the only reason is they feel so rubbish because their symptoms are basically confining them to their sofas. It's crazy because we all know now, and especially living through the pandemic for the last 18 months, that um, one of the best ways to refill your cup is to to be out, um, whether it's with family and friends, and to be a, that human connection. Yes. We we need it. We really need it. We do. Um, you know, and then if you're denying yourself that, that way to refill your cup, it's hard then, isn't it? Well, yes, and I think a lot of women are also unaware of what help they can get to. Um, there was a... Her, a lot of research um, being done over the last 10 years to debunk the initial myth that, you know, HRT gives you cancer. And it was a study that was published. It was, it was publicized on um, the Davina McCall um, documentary yeah. quite recently. Mm. And that initial study that says, oh, yeah, you know, HRT gives you cancer. The amount of women that stopped their treatment overnight was astronomical. Less than 10% now of women are using HRT, and yet it can have a life-changing effect on many people. Yes, there are people who can't use it, yeah. and you know, on medical grounds, and there are people who try it, and it doesn't work for yeah. them. But for those who can try it, then why would you not? If it can actually restore some, if not all, of your you know previous physical and mental yeah. abilities, and you just think, actually... Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to put my lippy on and, you know, I'm going to go for a walk down the pub with my yeah. husband and I'm going to sit outside in the sun and I'm going to chat to the couple on the next table. If it does that for you and gets you off your sofa, surely it's got to be worth that second thought. Because if you start thinking about how you are more yourself again, you're, you are more yourself again, you're being more yourself you're again, 
you are. You're not just trying to get through. Yeah. And when you've got to work and when you've got a family, all these things can weigh really heavy when you don't have that help. Has, I know the pandemic is um, has been horrific mm. for, for a lot of us, most of us. We've all struggled somewhat. But has this new way of working, so we were all sort of confined to our homes mm-hmm. predominantly, and you now in a day position, um, you were fortunate enough to be able to work from home. Has that was that of benefit for you then, dealing with the symptoms that you were going through um, to be able to work from home and not have to come into work every day? Oh, massively, massively. Because some of the things I think that get overlooked uh, particularly is how people feel in the situations that they placed in in work. Yeah. Um, now, I think everyone's probably heard of, you know, the hot flesh, and yeah. the raging sweat, <laughs> and, and that can come from absolutely nowhere with no warning. And... Can you imagine thinking, what if I'm standing, you know, giving a presentation? What if I'm in a meeting room full of my senior team and I go and tell them something and I get my a hot flush? Because literally it is horrific. It drenches you. And then you get that mental sort of block of, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. They can all see I'm sweating. Yeah. I look ridiculous. And, you, and silly things come into your head. Do I smell? Yeah. You know? Is, is, is it really hot? Am I going to pass out? Am I, am I going to be sick? All of these silly things going through your head and you're trying to partake in the meeting. You're yeah. trying to give somebody a yeah. point. And then all of a sudden, you've forgotten what you're going to say anyway. Mm. Now, being able to do that from the other side of a screen where you can be sitting there looking absolutely respectable, nice yeah. blouse, you got your hair done, but you're sitting there with flip-flops on your feet because your feet are so swollen and hot and disgusting. Yeah. Or you've got your shorts on because it allows you to be comfortable yeah. enough to be able to do your work. I wouldn't be able to do that in the workplace. <laughs> you can't so, come in with flip-flops. No, on. I can't walk around on site in flip-flops. I can't walk around on site in, in shorts and, and, and T-shirt <laughs> because that's the third outfit I've put on that yeah. day because of the repeated sweat attacks. I mean, I can go f- for weeks and not have a single one. Then I can have four or five in a day. Oh, the, the, the unpredictability of yeah. it. It and also plays anxiety games. anxiety-inducing. Yes, it, it plays it's games like, with your head. When's that going to happen? And, and, you know, more than likely then it would come on, like you say, when you're in the middle of presenting something. The or exact time you don't want moment. it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's a sense of shame there, yeah. which is completely unfounded. And nobody else in the room is thinking it. But these are the games that your brain is playing with you because there's so much negative self-talk with that lack yeah. of confidence. You know, you find yourself this, this criticality that's going on in your brain. Nobody else is thinking it. Nobody else is saying it. It's you. You're doing it yourself. And it really drives down your confidence. Your anxiety goes up. Your, your nervousness goes up. And then you find yourself, you have trouble sleeping because you're worrying about something you've got to do tomorrow. And then you're exhausted when you get up. And all of these things keep tying into the, the mental symptoms that come w- with menopause. And they are really, really damaging to your self-esteem. Yeah. And you it can be damaging to your performance. If you're not able to spot it and see what's happening, you could effectively end up under a performance review process. Yeah. You know, if your senior manager doesn't know this is happening to you yeah. and all they're seeing is your productivity and your abilities and what you're promising on not being delivered and continually missing your targets and your deadlines and what you need to be doing, what choice are they going to have but to say, you know, we need to have a one-to-one about your performance. We mm. need to discuss this. And if you're already struggling, how is that going to make you feel? It just get further and further into that cycle downwards. Yeah. So that point in itself is why it's important that even as a male-dominated industry, 
we take the menopause seriously because we could be disadvantaging then the women who are working and like you say thinking oh well they just they've lost the plot or they must be yeah. going through if, if you don't understand maybe um the symptoms of menopause or maybe some of the things that the woman has been presenting in the workplace some you know having then it could like you say have a real detrimental effect quite, on their careers there are tribunals that have already taken place yeah due to this and the employers have found you know have been found against yeah you know they're having to pay out quite significant sums of money apologize offer roles back to people yeah. and we don't want to be in that position just no. for the sake of including let's be honest it's a bit of diversity and inclusive training mm. right if all of our management team thought of right okay this is part of this process i have to understand it we have a new policy we've got a document we can refer to yeah. we have got something firm that we can come back to and help our employees rather than just saying, oh, what's the matter with her? Yeah. You know, she, she used to be fabulous, but look, oh my God, I can't, I don't know. I, she's lost it. Completely. She can't meet any of her goals. You know, she's she's nowhere near her KPIs. What's going on? Mm. You know? So it, it does. It, and I said, working from home was a massive sort of bonus in that yeah. effect because it allowed me to start learning where my boundaries were. Yeah. If I was... I think if I was stuck in the workplace for that eight hours, where there's no escape, yeah. whereas you're, you, you feel like you're being focused on constantly, you've got constant pulls on your attention. Because mm -hmm. you know yourself, if your office door is unlocked, anyone thinks they can give you a little knock and say, oh, have you got five minutes? Mm -hmm. And they'll have seen, you know, they might have looked online and see, you know, you're red, you're yeah. busy. Yeah, still but coming. she's not really busy. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's probably just said that because she's doing something online. You know, she should yeah. probably just block the diary out. Yeah, and then they come and stick their head around the door, and you think, when you're already struggling to concentrate, the slightest distraction. You know, you answer an email. It says it takes you if you're doing deep work. Yeah, it'll take you 15 minutes to get back into the mindset you were before you started, and that's without menopause. Yeah, I reckon you could probably triple that because <laughs> if I'm disturbed when I'm I'm concentrated, when I'm actually in the frame of mind and I'm getting somewhere and I'm actually right, I know what's next. I know what's next. I have to plan out a good hour. Sort of, I need to do this for this 15 minutes. This for this 15 minutes. This for this 15. I know where this hour is going to go. If I'm disturbed at any point in that, that throws my entire so situation. From home then has been really helpful for you in that you've been Massively. able to better manage your diary to accommodate maybe some symptoms that you've been having hot flashes or whatever yeah. or periods of fatigue and you know for you to be more comfortable like you say yeah. in the workplace to wear clothing that was looser and more comfortable for you but also for you to be able to better manage your attention because like you say you know if I work in an open plan office if somebody walks in and, and they want your attention you go in to give it you're yes. not going to sit there and ignore somebody that's right as much as you may try you yeah. know you're not going to are you but at home you could ignore a phone call if you were deep doing something else yeah I mean for the majority of my time I I make it clear in my diary even if I'm not in meetings I write in my diary that people can see what I'm working on yeah so they know if it's important, so, well, actually, it's to do with what she's working on. Yeah. I'll get hold of her. And I'll get a lot of the boys who will drop me an email or an instant message first saying, are you free? I can see you're busy. And I think that's, that is really respectful. But I think they know the kind of work that I'm doing at the moment requires a lot of quiet and a lot of concentration. I'm working in, in, in software programs, which is not my strength, which mm -hmm. is something new for me. So they know that. I need to be basically left alone while I'm doing that. Yeah. You know, and they can see where all my meeting slots are mm. and they can see when I am free and I'm open to be able to take, you know, sort of 
random phone calls about, have you got information about this? Can you help me with that? Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. It's all planned and it's all scheduled. But a key thing, like you're saying about being comfortable, is managing within an environment that needs overalls, mm. right? Now, this is something people wouldn't automatically, I don't think, think of when it comes to menopause. Mm. But the overalls you wear, especially if you're working in, in a hot metal environment, are very, very thick and layered yeah. and synthetic mm. at the end of the day. And that's the problem, right? You need to be able to wear clothes that allow skin to breathe. And if it says, oh, you'll be fine, you wear cotton, wear linen. No, bamboo is the key. Mm. Bamboo clothes. And you can get bamboo undergarments. Um, so maybe it's something that we could sort of link up with yeah. um, some of our providers. Be able to say, well, actually, are there workplace safe clothing yeah. that come from sources that are suitable? Because except there aren't that many of us that work on site. But for those of us that do, just having that small minor adjustment, yeah. now that allowable say, yes, you can wear this particular undergarment, maybe under your overalls. We'll provide them. It's a workplace thing, mm. you know. Because it's what we want. We want we want them to keep that those years of experience that, that woman has built up and has got within our industry. Yeah. And to then welcome them back, <laughs> you know, as wise women, yeah. um, you know, that that's what we want. We don't want women to leave and all of that talent to just to go for the sake of we're not going to offer them to be able to work maybe from home one or two days a week. I think a hybrid option yeah. would be, to be honest, I don't think it's just menopausal approach either. I think it's a healthy approach yeah. now to life. I think we've realised that our work doesn't have to suffer based on where our laptops are. Yeah. Right. And I think actually we've proved a lot of the time that we're actually able to focus and work a lot better when we can schedule our hours. Yeah. Presenteeism, I think, is... Yes, it's it's, it's always been a massive issue. I mean, I know uh, if I'm on site, if I'm in my office, I'll get a fraction of the work done that I would if I'm sitting at my home desk because, as I said, head around the door. Can you give me a hand with this? Can you have good advice? What can I do with this? Oh, oh, I haven't seen you for ages. You've got five minutes for a coffee. Yeah. And it's lovely. And that human interaction is something I've desperately missed. But it impacts how much with my mindset as it is. Yeah. And how easily distracted I am by you know the, the forgetfulness and, and how my concentration levels are so poor. Mm. It really sort of disrupts how much I can focus on actually doing what I need to do. So yes, work, like I said, a hybrid option. You can have two or three days for deep work where you don't have any meetings and you can just concentrate on what you need to deliver. And then you've got two days in the workplace where you do all the meetings and all the social stuff and all yeah. that. And they say meetings are better when everyone's in a room together and yeah. you can bounce ideas. And that's brilliant. Just schedule the time out appropriately so people are able to still contribute to the workplace and still have that human interaction part but can really focus on what they're really good at and yeah. deliver you what you want to see in your KPIs, give you that, you know, what you've targeted Mm. them to do. So I think it's addressing the confidence issue is massive and working from home does help that because some days you just cannot physically focus enough to get in a car first thing in the morning. And that's a danger to yourself, it's a danger to others because you're just not aware enough of what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like a really sort of scaremongering thing to say, but it's true. I found it true. Yeah. I found it true. I found some mornings, you know, I'd have to get up at sort of six o'clock in the morning to know that by quarter to nine that I was absolutely focused and clear of head to be able to take my daughter to school. 
do you know what though? I'm, I'm sitting here and listening to you and I haven't started going through the menopause yet, but I'm just so glad that we're starting these open conversations within the workplace around it because I know it'll be of benefit to me, but then to maybe young girls who are joining mm. the industry now, I it sort of gives me hope to where we might be in 20, 30 years time with awareness around menopause generally in society, mm. but in the workplace as well, having more family-friendly policies. We, I think the workplace will be a very different place, won't it? And maybe more inclusive because... Mm. We just all, we all want to do a good job. We don't come to work to do a bad job, do we? But the conditions have to be conducive to that, don't they? And like you say, it fe really feels as if it's knocked you for six, but then this being able to work from home has helped you manage it a bit better. And I'm sure there will be other women who will say that. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Because for me, it's also allowed me time to be able to try out different medications. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to predict whether or not, one, they'd work, yeah. two, their effect on me, or how I would be on them. So being able to sort of do all that trial and error stuff mm. in my home, yet still being able to do my work, I think I was very fortunate. Yeah. I was very fortunate. And that's probably the only thing I can thank pandemic for. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Was giving me that space to be able to find out, right, these are the appointments I've made, these are the treatments I'm now taking, and... Um, I've, had, I've gone through several different adjustments. I've got a couple of different types. Now I'm kind of starting to hit sweet spots where I'm actually recognizing bits of my old self again. Yeah. I'm still terribly forgetful. I'm still quite prone to uh, poor sleep. So I'm either getting too much and not feeling recovered or not enough at all. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much like my sleep patterns like reverted to a teenager. Mm. So I'm really, really feeling rubbish in the mornings. And yet 11 o'clock at night, I'm <laughs> wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And it's just, that I haven't been like that since I was 19. Yeah. You know, so trying to, even though I keep good uh, patterns, mm. I still can't drop off to sleep. So yeah. things like that are still having issues with. But generally, I'm a lot more normal, shall I say, more like the old me than I was six months ago eight months ago but you know you, you've done a lot of research and you've done a lot of self-learning around this but it seems to strike me that that is you because mm. all through your life you seem to have, you know you've always developing yourself the role that you're working in now you you know you're helping others and developing others you're a woman on a mission with this now aren't you to seek out and all of this information and you're really willing to want to help others as well and that really feels to me that's been that's just you <laughs> I, I have to know everything about a topic. Yeah. If, if something has dropped in my lap and I, it's pinged something off in my brain, thinking, oh, I want to know about this. Books, websites, um, I'm constantly sort of devouring information. I've joined a couple of on-site forums. We were fortunate a couple of years ago to get um, Diane Danzebrink to come yeah. and talk to us. So Diane is a massive campaigner for this, only because she had no support. She went through an early surgical menopause and she was left absolutely devastated by what had happened mm. to her so she's taken the menopause matters campaign to parliament she's managed to get it on the english curriculum so it's taught in english schools so recently there was a welsh government um survey uh, about proposals to changes to i believe it's called um sexual reproductive health something like that yeah. the term is for welsh schools yeah so having looked at their syllabus there is nothing on there that addresses 
the end of reproductive life. Yeah. There's some really good stuff in there talking about things like um, online relationships, consent, all the really important things yeah. that we need our kids to learn now in this sort of new dating world that, mm. you know, we probably never went through yeah, no. at our age. You, you, you went out, you met, physically met people. <laughs> yeah. You didn't look at computer screens and you didn't swipe, you know. So there's a lot of that, which is really good and it's really important. But then it sort of gets to pregnancy and then nothing. Mm. So, you know, that's not the end of your hormonal life, uh, not for men and not for women. Yeah. So um, I, when I raised my response back to Welsh government, it was completely ignored. Um, I tweeted Diane. Diane tweeted it out to all her followers. I got an immediate response from Welsh government. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you really are a woman on a mission. And, but their, their description was actually this flexibility in the syllabus and it, these are the core things they have to teach. Teachers can actually add on and teach anything yeah. else they want. How many teachers do you think want to teach menopause? How many would even think about yeah. the need? How many know enough in themselves to teach it? Yeah. And we're not talking about primary school kids now. We are talking up to GCSE standards, mm -hmm. up to the up to the 16-year-old bracket, the standard syllabus. So they've got it on the English syllabus. Why aren't we? Are we not as good? Same as Scotland. Mm -hmm. They are feeling the same way. Why haven't they got it on their syllabus? So Diane is there at the moment now. Um, and her latest campaign is to get it to be a mandatory condition for all employers to have menopause policy. So with our local MP, actually, mm -hmm. Carolyn Harris from Swansea, yeah. um, they've already started taking this through the process. Uh, it went through the, uh, the town hall meeting. It's already its first reading in Parliament. So this is underway. We It's going to be law soon enough. Fantastic. Um, as it should be. And yeah. it's going to be, I think they've got Nadine Doris on board as well, um, yeah. the Women's Health MP. Yeah. So it's going to be part of a far-reaching and not just a Welsh government thing. This is not just a local. This is going to be national policy. Yeah. This is going to be central government. So, you know, this is something we really need to get on board with. And get You're on not going to stop banging, banging the <laughs> no. drum until this happens. Exactly. I, I want this. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, like I said, I went out and I hunted down you everything did. I needed to know because for me, it was impacting my life too mm. much and it was impacting on my family. Um, my husband must have thought he married some sort of harpy or something. You know, <laughs> I was like a raging banshee and he, I was not one for, I'm quite feisty, mm. um, but I was getting a blind rage that would come from nowhere for no explanation whatsoever. And it's like my husband and my kids would all look at me as if say, what, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Take cover. <laughs> it was, and it must have been really sort of shocking for them because I haven't been that person. Yeah. I'll whinge and I'll moan and I'll nag, you know, same yeah. as all mums do, you know, pick this up, put that mm. in the wash and take your dishes out. But this was just pure rage. You know, it's, as, it, it's as if a shutter had come down. Yeah. I've never been like that my whole life. And it was just, like, oh, this scared me. Yeah. And then when you think of all the other things that came into it and the information that I got together, I mean, Nobody has to say you need to go out and spend 300 quid on books, right? There's so many free resources online, good, reputable resources. You know, I was able to get onto a Zoom call with menopause doctor Louise Newson, amazing author. She's the chair of Menopause Charity. Uh, she uh, runs her own webpage, My Menopause Doctor, and she is the leading menopause clinic in the UK. And she was on the Davina documentary as well. And she said she only started, because she's a GP, she only started it because of the problems she had. When she had menopause. So you're going to share some of these resources with us, aren't yes, you? And absolutely. some of the books that you found helpful. And we can put those then in the episode notes. Um, because I think there will be people listening thinking, oh my gosh, this is this is what I'm going, this is starting for me now, you know. And mm. like, maybe helping them join the dots a bit more, you know. 
because maybe they hadn't. Like you say, they've yeah, like gone me. to the GP and, and they hadn't had them join the dots. What advice then would you give to um, sort of 18-year-old Barbara then? If you sort of think back now to all of the trials and tribulations that you've had in the steel industry and this career that you've been able to forge for yourself, what advice would you give yourself? Probably to keep learning, keep interested, keep ahead of the game, you know, think about what's coming next, not just professionally, but personally as well. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm, as, as you can tell, I'm a believer in lifelong learning. There's always mm. something to be learned. You know, I've not been one that sort of sat there and think, oh, right, done now. <laughs> done all the qualifications. Yeah. I need to get my job. I'll just do my job. Yeah. yeah. Qualifications completed it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> done. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Internet completed. Yeah. Done. There's nothing new there I am seeing. <laughs> you know, it, it's these things um, that keep you interested. There's always new information. There's always new resources. There's always new research. I'm one of these boring people. If they, if somebody posts and say, oh, there's a bit of research that says this, I'll go and read the paper because I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. If it's a topic that interests me, I want to know why something has changed. Yeah. Um, and I think, don't get me wrong, I think university education does that to you in a certain way. It makes yeah. you think, look behind the headline, look behind the story and see, well, actually, what are you saying to me? Because, mm. you know, you give me snippets, I'm going to go and find out the truth. So yeah. there's a bit of truth seeking involved in it as well as a little bit of, you know, is it really what you're seeing? You know, don't believe everything. Interrogation yeah. of the facts. Sur surface value stuff, you yeah. know, just, yep, yeah, you know, pay mind to it, but go and find out what's going on behind it. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's to keep interested, to keep reading and keep learning. And if anything, if that helps somebody else, um, I'm not an empire builder. I'm not one of the, I've got all the information. And if you want it, you have to work for it. I'll tell you whatever I know. And if you know something and I don't, I expect you to tell me as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, I'm just interested in, in people. I'm interested in things and I like how it all links up, you know? Yeah. And I like to, to be able to think, well, what have I learned? How can I apply it? So yeah, it's, it's very much a, don't sit still, keep, keep going, keep going, keep learning, keep learning. Cause I mean, if you've got the information, little bumps in the road like this. I mean, because let's be honest, menopause is a bump in a very yeah. long road. Mm -hmm. The average life expectancy in the UK for women is 83. And if you take the seven to 10 years that menopause bothers you in the middle of the picture, you still got 70 years of life around yeah. it. Right. So, you know, it's a long, you're a long time to deal with things. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got families, you've got friends, you've got all that lovely stuff. This little bit in the middle, if you've got enough information around it, you'll get through it. Yeah. So information is key to getting you through all all the crappy stuff that life throws yeah. at you as well, you know. So, yeah, keep learning, keep, keep managing, you know, your expectations, know what you can and can't achieve. Well, thank uh, you very much for sharing um, with us today and being really open and honest about a topic that... It's not taboo, but it's just not spoken about at yeah, all, is it? It's in a dark corner somewhere. It, it does. And, you know, you only visit it when you have to as a woman yeah. then. It's like, oh, right, this is, you know, it's like childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> no one tells you about that. No, and then no. afterwards, I was yeah. like, well, yeah, I should have said. You didn't warn me about that. That was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for your time today. Um, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Hey, thank you, Nia. Well, that was a really interesting conversation with Barbara, talking from her early career as a 19-year-old joining the industry as an apprentice, which is still quite unusual. Uh, the cohorts that we have at the moment are disproportionately male. Um, so it's fantastic to see that a woman joined at 19 is still here into her 40s. What is also, I think, was my big takeaway from that conversation was the awareness raising that Barbara is doing alongside other female colleagues around the menopause, 
how debilitating and how life-changing some of the symptoms and signs of the menopause are and how as a workplace, as colleagues, for women who are going through it, we can all perhaps be a bit more supportive. It's great to see that hybrid working brought on to us by the pandemic has been very helpful because I feel as if it would have been a different conversation with Barbara had she been having to come into the office for the last 18 months. It feels as if working from home has really helped her maintain her productivity, her levels of concentration, but also allowed her, like she said, to try out different medications and to even sit in her shorts, which um, sadly are still frowned upon in the office. (laughs) I will put the links for all of the resources that Barbara was talking about in the episode notes. So please check those out if you're listening and you yourself are, are going through the menopause or your partner is. Thanks as always for listening. 